Hi everyone, welcome back to Prevention Nation. Where we believe education and awareness can change the culture of violence. My name is Roy Lutz. And I'm Kate Wagenfield. So when you're dealing with someone that is a professional con artist, and I don't use the term professional lightly. Yeah. Excellent. He's extremely, extremely manipulative and very convincing and very charismatic, clearly. How do you get people to give you thousands and thousands of dollars under the guise of being an African prince unless you're convincing? I mean, yeah, you've got skills, right? So we'll give I you have, that. I'm not going to lie. I have to think that that's pretty remarkable skills. It is a remarkable skill. Because it's a remarkable tale to expect somebody to believe, right? Well, he could have done anything else with that charisma. Absolutely. Oh, you mean good, good things? Oh, yeah. oh, I was gonna say even bad things. I'm saying oh, yeah. like you could have made up something that was a lot easier to pass off. I'm just some corporate executive, or I'm some like you could something a little more easy to pass off. But an African prince, I mean, that's a tall tale. And then to get people to buy into that takes some remarkable skill. I would have to assume. We actually have a podcast about charisma and the phrase "riz." Have you ever heard that "riz"? So it's it's charisma, but that's what people are saying now, like when somebody has game. Oh, you've got yeah, Riz. You've got Riz. So we talked about how Riz could actually be, like, Riz is a red flag. Charisma can be good. So it sounds like... Yeah, if you're charismatic, that can be good. Sure. But if you have what what people are saying is Riz, it's more of a red flag. It sounds like that's what... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But, riz. but you know what? It's That is exactly what it is. It's funny because I, I, I've never heard that term before, yeah. Caitlin. So I'm, I'm, I learned something new today. So thank you. But to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying, Roy, you know, when you think about mental health disorders mm-hmm. and you think about uh, narcissistic personality disorder, mm-hmm. um, when you go through the traits of narcissistic personality disorder, it's like there are nine traits that would, you know, really fall in line with someone with NPD, right? Yeah. And if you have five of them, it's like, oh, you know, this is borderline, but we think pretty much this person could have NPD. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. Mm-hmm. I never did any type of um, a test of my own, so I can't verify mm-hmm. any of this. But it is my belief that we have a unicorn here. Because I'm saying all nine boxes are checked. One of the NPD traits is a, a, a feeling of grandiosity mm-hmm. and that you are royalty. And that mm-hmm. you think that you are royalty, you are above others, they are beneath you, and the rules don't apply to you. And so that would really make sense to me. Nothing else makes sense, but that makes sense. <laughs> How you could take people's money, right. claim to be an African prince, and go with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and run that thing for 10 years, really. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I think it's so interesting hearing, just talking with you about your story. I don't know which part to latch onto more. I mean, I mean, honestly, it feels like, and, and let me actually reference something earlier when you were talking about the kind of read that your story is in genre. I, I didn't, I forgot to mention earlier, but I wanted to say so our listeners know when thinking about reading your book, I went through the reviews and everything Caitlin, everything I read in the reviews, Caitlin substantiated, just that your book wasn't a heavy, hurt, difficult, challenging read that was painful. It was very light, uh, more inspiring than, you know, than challenging, so to speak. So I just, something that's something I wanted our our listeners to know. But I just, uh, again, with your story, 
I just don't know which part that I am more fascinated with. I, I think I'm more fascinated with because of our, our current culture and um, some of the documentaries that come out of these wild stories. I don't know if it's that, the, the, the narcissism, the African prince. I don't know if that part of the story intrigues me more that I want to know more about, or do I just want to know more about you and your kids? I don't know. I mean, because that's me. I'm a, I'm a father to three kids, and I'm about family and I'm about mm -hmm. we have a sign in our home that says no other success can compensate for failure in the home and my wife and I live that um mm -hmm. which was and I think you know the one part of your story that I was reading um let me pull up my note here um with regards to your kids um you mentioned let me see uh that you felt such a guilt and shame about being stupid enough to fall for this act and bring two innocent children into this nightmare this real life nightmare um i think one of the things that when i read that line it just it crushed me it brought me back to what my wife and my purpose has been with that sign in our house was we swore that we were going to send our kids off into the world with two things one a healthy eating lifestyle we failed on that i'm sorry listeners our kids ate junk food and it was yeah we, we have some regrets there the other thing that we wanted to send our kids off into the world as adults with was abuse free and we failed both of our daughters were sexually assaulted and it was just like oh we felt like such failures but i don't know would you talk about that line because i think the next line is what i thought was really cool the advice i can't remember her name that she gave to you what did she say to you yes one of my therapists told me when i was lamenting and i was just ridden with guilt and shame shame will beat the hell out of you mm -hmm. it, it really will i mean it's like a louisville slugger yeah and that guilt and she told me that guilt does not belong to you yeah, who does it belong to it belongs to the perpetrator amen it does not belong to you you have been carrying a really heavy burden for a long time it's not yours you didn't do that to them you just thought that you were signing up for, for, you know, happily ever after. You thought you were signing up to get married and have, child, have children, have a family. And that wasn't what he signed up for. I'm yeah. not in control of what he signed up for. I was only in control of what I signed up for. I thought I signed up for happily ever after. And he signed up to have, you know, basically uh, control of, yeah. of human beings and power. And yeah. And that wasn't, we were not on the same page. Yeah, as much as I'm intrigued by the trickery and all that kind of stuff, I, I think the family, that, that family element is what more resonates with me. I don't know about you, Caitlin, would you? You're, I mean, you're a crime reader and stuff, so you probably love the trickery and stuff. No, we had talked a little bit before you got in here. I got to come to South Victoria. And um, we were talking about some of my experiences as an adult in my early 20s and what I've gone through. And I am currently going through a divorce at 23 and how I really, that line actually was one that spoke to me. So I remember when originally I was going through this stuff, I had read a fiction book and the character, it was like the book was telling me like what I needed to make happen in my life. And I did, I felt a lot of guilt and shame. And when I read that, I needed to hear that. Mm. So I loved this book for all kinds of different reasons, but it was also... I, I told her, I was like, it felt like she was talking to me. It felt like you were talking directly to me. That is the greatest yeah. compliment ever because I was talking to you. I just didn't know you yet, but I was talking to you. I wish I had someone when I was 23 to speak, you know, this type of truth into me and help me understand. But I was just so lost at the time and I was drowning. You know, I felt like I was in the middle of the ocean 
and the Coast Guard was nowhere around. <laughs> you know, yeah. I needed somebody Where to save me. Where was your daughter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, please, somebody throw me, you know, a raft. I, you know, throw me a rope. Throw me, you know, some life preserver. Throw me anything. Like, help me get out of this and help me not hate myself because of all of these choices that I made. And at the time, you're making choices with the information that you have mm-hmm. available to you. And that's why I think it's so important when we talk about the word prevention, because that means that you're you're going to mm-hmm. mitigate what could potentially be collateral damage, right? Mm-hmm. I wish I was able to somehow mitigate the collateral damage. I wasn't at that stage, and I might not have figured it out right away, but now I have helped enable my children with tools that they are able to utilize in their lives, and they're... I mean, remarkable, just absolutely remarkable adults. And they are changing the world for the better, right? They're using their charisma. They're using their skills. They're using that talent. They're using that servant lifestyle, that mindset, that empathy and compassion, all of the things that they have to help others, Mm -hmm. which is an absolutely beautiful thing, a wonderful compliment to me as their parent, right? But um, it's a blessing to know that I've raised children Mm -hmm. that are making a positive impact. They've had so much pain. Yeah, in spite of all that pain and trauma. Resiliency. Resilience, yeah. So, okay, so your daughter, again, do you mind discussing is your daughter's in Coast Guard. She is. So do you think think in part she, I mean, is there any any connection um, to her choice of throwing lifelines to people, rescuing people, to her own life story, do you think? I, I think that you are a brilliant man, Roy. Yeah, well, that's what I hear. So. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm joking. I don't hear that often. So, yeah. I think you are brilliant. You're definitely, <clears throat> it's like interpreting the poetry, right? Okay. Um, so, I was a single mom for 10 years, and can you imagine, like, any of you single moms out there, you know how difficult it is to raise a family and to try to keep everything rolling smoothly. And I was very rigid, and I was, I mean, rules, 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 rules. I mean, I'm very, you know, all about it. And so um, it's not a surprise to me that she's military. Um, okay. But um, She's used to that. She's used to that, right? <laughs> okay. She's used to the structure. She's used to discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's that that's fantastic right but um for her um she has always loved the coast guard Mm -hmm. since she was like 12 years old she said that she was going to earn an appointment to the united states coast guard academy and i'm like wow that's a really lofty goal yeah yeah well because she wanted to be in the coast guard Guard, right right well she she especially in ohio well yeah exactly so she my grandfather was a World War II vet. Okay. Um, her father, who adopted her and her brother, and that's in the book, he was military. We have other family members that were military. So the military, I think, life, like she's always been around some type of military, right? Familiar, yes. Yeah, familiar. familiar. It is. Um, but the fact that she wanted the Coast Guard, um, the Coast Guard, she said, you know, they help save lives, not take lives. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so... And every other branch she's taken them. Right. So yeah. to her, you know, that was the initial concept. And then we met some people who had family in the Coast Guard. And they said, oh, well, you know, the real ticket 
is if you could get into Coast Guard Academy. That's like West Point, but if you get a Coast mm-hmm. Guard, it's like the Air Force Academy, Coast Guard, though. And she's like, oh, and then he, you know, they'll pay for your entire college education and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And so then it was like, oh, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do. And so, cool. um, yeah, so she. So she's a helper. What about your son? What's um, he doing? So he just graduated from college with his bachelor's degree. He was, In what? Um, actually, sociology. He was a track and field. Um, yeah, he was okay. a track and field scholarship uh, recipient. So that was pretty fabulous. We were right. really proud of him as well. They're both track and field stars. So we just love all of that. And he just is in the real world now. Just graduated back in May. Took a trip um, for uh, graduation to the Virgin Islands and enjoyed some Caribbean life for a little bit. And then got out into the workforce. And he's doing fantastic, living a great life. And I'm super proud of him, serving in the community and doing things for others. And I mean, it's oh, yeah. this makes me so happy. I can see the joy. <laughs> I can see the joy in you. Know, in you it could kid. be so different. It could be so different. I mean, when you read... Your story could have been so... Their story could have been so different. Their story could be so different. I mean, when you read the book and you find out that the professionals in, you know, the healthcare field basically said he's had so many perpetrators at such a young age before he ever even had language skills. He probably will never be mainstreamed. He will always have special needs. He will be in special classes. He will always be medicated. And it was like... Okay, that's the worst case scenario. Exactly. Okay, now what are we going to do? How can we get out of this? How can I? I'm going to get out of this. How are we going to figure this out? And it's just amazing because, like, I am my children's biggest fan. I mean, even though they're adults, I'm still, I still talk to them every day. I'm still trying to motivate them. I'm still trying to help them achieve their next goal. It's like, okay, you graduated from college with your bachelor's degree, and they didn't even think you were going to get out of high school. Yes! (laughs) <laughs> What's next? <laughs> you know? I love that enthusiasm from you. You've really been their biggest advocate. So mm-hmm. I can see how passionate you are about, you know, him going into that field of becoming an advocate for others and helping people in their journeys. Like, do you do anything currently to, like, talk? Obviously, I know you came to our small plate for a big cause, which was um, a also one of our smaller events, but still we had a lot of donations come in for Abbott's Coast Guard. Yeah, I love to support um, organizations that are helping people that are victims mm-hmm. of abuse and violence and, you know, fill in the blank. Um, it's really part of my heart and what I want to do in the future. Um, my kids are still really, you know, young adults. They're mm-hmm. 20 and 23. And so after getting them, you know, out of the nest mm-hmm. into college, I've been chasing my son around running track since he was 12. You just had a break. Yeah, and he just did five years in college. You know, COVID hit us, so we got an extra year of eligibility. And then getting our daughter into the Coast Guard Academy, that was a full-time job, right? I do work full-time. And then I launched the book this year. Um, So it's like I haven't really had a lot of time to just get more involved. But Safe on Main or the Small small plate I think um, dinner was really really exciting for me and kind of my first step toward getting involved in those types of programs again it's exciting it is exciting but I'm perplexed like just you sharing that um, you, do you even know what it's like to be an empty nester yet then you've been so busy no I don't are actually. you worried about that I am a little worried, yes. Okay. I mean, we have had a lot of transition, so um, it, it's it's been very different, like, having our daughter in 
you know, in the Coast Guard Academy. I mean, it's it's like 12 hours away from right. where we live. So, I mean, that's that's a, it's a haul. It may as well be another universe. I, it really should be, yeah. you know. And I don't drive 12 hours anywhere. I just don't do it. The, the long and the short of it is, um, you know, it's it's not really been easy to embrace being empty nesters yeah. um, because they have been so back and forth and in and out. Um, and I'm really trying to keep it at bay as long as I can. Like, hey, yeah. don't you want to come back home for a little while? And yeah. Yeah. So to me, that's part of the that's part of your story. That's I don't think in the book, and it's part of your story that interests me because it's it's uh, I guess relative to me right now. Or um, that I have, I think my youngest two are 17 and 17. They're only 10 months apart. They're not twins, but it's it's bizarre. Um, but uh, so and then our oldest is in, uh, out in Salt Lake City. She graduated college last year. And I don't know if it was, I don't know if you're experiencing this or going to experience it, but some trauma bonding, right? You go through some tough things with your kids. Um, like, I just hate letting go of my kids. I hate them leaving home. Like, I'm super excited that my oldest one, like I said, took off to Salt Lake. My next one's going to take off to Los Angeles or New York. My son wants to be a pilot and travel like cargo planes around the world. So my kids aren't going to land locally. And I don't know, it's so hard. Isn't that hard? It's difficult. It's very, very difficult. I can totally relate to you. I mean, this is like one of those things that you relate to people through painful experiences. Uh, yeah. It never gets easier. Sure Every doesn't. time I take our daughter back to the Coast Guard Academy. You cry? Please tell me you cry. Sob the <laughs> okay, entire good, way yeah. from the Coast Guard Academy to the airport. I yeah. mean, like a baby. I mean, you would think it would get easier. I mean, she's been in the military now for a couple of years. It's like you know this, you know the scenario, you know how this works. You know, right. my son just is just recently launched. You know, but it doesn't matter. Like I just saw him the other day, and and had an opportunity to grab him really quick for lunch, and then it was like when he went back to work, it was like. <gasps> <laughs> You know, it's so sad, and yeah. and it's hard because you do have such a connection with your kids, and I think it's it's understanding this new normal, yeah. and being able to embrace the next season. So it's like, okay, it's not that they're gone; it's that they're living life here, you're living life here. You're still there for them. You're right. still very much a part of their lives, and you're still a support system. But it's like this was the plan all along. Yeah. Like you didn't think they were gonna live with you until they were thirty-five, did you? you I kind of did. My, but <laughs> you sound like my wife. My wife keeps telling me she's loving developing that new adult adult relationship. I'm like, she's still my little girl. Yeah, <laughs> like, okay, yeah. So. I don't know that I could say I'm loving it, but I can say that I'm learning to embrace the journey. Well, it sounds like it. Sounds like, it. but I mean, it sounds like your story really set you up to do that so but you you said something about the next season you know um the next chapter um i think that's a a good thing to talk about here too i don't know i i mean i'm thinking about dan right oh. dan you what dan was that chapter man. called that's what i was trying to think of what was that chapter was the real dan. deal oh yeah dan the man the yeah. real deal yeah it was the real deal chapter yeah. and and i just think to myself how does that play into your healing, your children's healing, your comfortableness with this this life of yours that's just growing and expanding and exciting. How, where does Dan play into this? Uh, well, Dan is paramount. He is literally, I mean, if, if you have a, a belief in anything outside of this planet right here, 
then you could agree with me. I believe that the skies parted and then that he just was literally lowered down out of heaven. <laughs> with like rays of light yes, around I, him. I'm, I'm pretty sure like the angels were singing or yeah. something like Trumpets that. Were playing, yeah, 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 of course. And then he was just like literally delivered to us. I mean, us, I say us, my children yeah. and I. He has been the rock of Gibraltar. I mean, he is incredible. I could have done nothing nothing in the last 10 years if it had not been for my husband. That's super exciting. He really is just such a guiding force for all of my success. I could not have done what I did without him. I mean, for example, in the book, I talk about representing Mm -hmm. myself in court as my own attorney. Yeah. Which, boy, I'd love to talk about that. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I I would have just never, (laughs) I would never have even entertained the thought of representing myself. And he came to me and he said, I think this is what you need to do. And I'm like, I think you're crazy. Yeah. And he said, no, you can do this. And I said, I didn't go to law school. I didn't pass the bar. I don't have a law degree. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not an attorney. What are you thinking? And he's looking at me and he and he is just always encouraging me. You want to talk about being a cheerleader or an advocate? He's my biggest advocate. And he's like, you are intelligent. You have been in litigation nearly 10 years. You have watched them do what they do. You know exactly how a courtroom is supposed to be run. You are a woman of class. You can carry yourself well. Get in there and do your job. Do what you need to do. You've done everything else you needed to do for these kids. Do what you need to do here. No one knows the story better than you. Right. True. No one knows the story better than me. I have watched it go down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So we started, and I'm like, fine. So I filed the motions I needed to file. He helped me put together my exhibit books, um, and then I ended up going to court by myself, representing myself as my own attorney, and I had my ex-husband on cross-examination for about an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, I have so many, I mean, yeah, it's stuff we don't even have time for conversations today, because I mean, I've seen people, I've seen people do some really bizarre things defending you know representing themselves in in court um but i also have seen i think people like you i've had the opportunity the great fortune of having worked with people like you um where i've had people cases where people had been part of the system for so long because the system had abused them for so long and manipulated things for so long and legalese is so difficult to understand and navigate for most people that's why our legal advocacy here at safe on main is so critical and imperative but I've seen a lot of people who've gone through those processes for a long, extended period of time come out. I'd, I'd hire them over most of the attorneys. I, mm-hmm. I mean, that you just develop such, if you're astute and you're attentive to what's happening around you and what, how you're being treated, I've seen people come out of those experiences with remarkable skills in, in defending themselves. That's so, so amazing. <laughs> I love it. I, I think that's what ended up happening for me. It was just, I'm going to stand up for myself and for my children, period. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm doing. Here's a bully who's relentless in his pursuit to destroy our lives, and I'm going to be relentless in the pursuit to keep my children safe and to stand up for what is right and for justice. Yeah, that cross-examination had to have been interesting. Oh, my goodness. I loved reading about it. Oh, my gosh. That literally was my most – it was probably my most favorite chapter to write Mm -hmm. um, just because I really felt like, oh, my gosh. I I mean, I – well, the tables were turned, right? Uh, I mean, all this manipulation to you, all this you know, gaslighting and control and coercion, and all of a sudden now you get to put it, 
you just get to call it all out. But you know what was the greatest thing about it is when you're dealing with someone who's a narcissist. Yeah. What do they love to talk about? Themselves. Yep. Of course. So let's talk about you. So let's talk about (laughs) you. Let's talk about you. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I've got an exhibit book. And as soon as I hand him the exhibit book, right, um, he opens it up and he realizes that all these exhibits have his picture. In all, you Ooh, know. a narcissist. Oh. Like, oh, this is fantastic. Oh. I mean, he was just like, you could Glowing. tell he was so excited. And I mean, he's smiling from ear to ear. And that, But I know who he is. Right. And I've studied the narcissist. And I've done a lot of research about mental health disorders. And I've been in a lot of therapy myself, right? So I'm reading the body language. And I'm watching his attorney. And I'm watching the magistrate. And I'm looking at my questions. And I'm knowing, I know, I know exactly where I'm going. I, ha- I have directions. Yeah. I know exactly where I'm going. I'm not, you know, I wasn't just dropped in the middle of a, you know, a dead-end road somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. No, right. no, no. I, don't get it confused. I knew exactly where I was going. And I was leading him down this path. And he literally sang like a bird. Of course he did. It was just, I just honestly could not believe it. I'm like, can you, you know, and I would I would say, can you turn to exhibit A and tell me what it is? And he would literally, oh, that's a picture of me. And he's just so excited. I'm like, and what does it say under your picture? And he would read it. And I would say, awesome. Wow. And then who wrote, who put that together? You know, and, you know, did you put that together? And who signed this document? Oh, I did. Well, what can you read the name that you signed on the document? Prince Daryl Atibo, uh. with the Ghanaian accent. He's from Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> Atibo. I'm like, oh, okay. We've we've got it. We're in role. We're in character now. So now we're all in character. He's all in. Wow, the power of that narcissism is shocking. And I'm like, and you signed this? Oh, yes, I did. And I'm like, oh, did you have a legal name change from your from your legal name to Prince Daryl Atibo? No, no, no. That's actually caught up right now. Uh, it's tied up right now in the courts. I said, in the courts? It goes, oh, yeah. You know, that's caught up at the uh, embassy. Yeah. And, and it was like your head's like spinning. You're like, the embassy? What does the embassy have to do with this? It's like it doesn't have anything to do with anything, but it sounds like, oh, well, th- those are important people at the embassy. So if I say that I'm connected to the embassy, then maybe she'll realize how important I am. And then the judge is like, you don't get your name changed at the embassy. You go down here to the probate court. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a probate probate yeah. filing. Right, right, right. But it was just interesting. And, and it was just like page after page, exhibit after exhibit, you know. Wow. And that's what actually was his demise. I mean, he is his own biggest, uh, you know, I, I don't know, detriment. Yeah. Because, um, you know, he could not stop talking. And then he ended up taking the stand at a federal trial, which who would take the stand as the defendant in a case that is literally a slam dunk case? Nope. But he did, and he. Narcissism is powerful. And they're even telling him, "You can plead the fifth. Like you don't uh, want to incriminate yourself. Yeah, you can plead the fifth. Like, well, that was just another <laughs> fiasco during my. Yeah, so Caitlin is referring to during that hearing where I represented myself, the the bench, uh, the magistrate that was currently on that hearing, she was giving uh, legal advice from the bench. She told him to plead the Fifth Amendment because she saw where I was taking him, and she knew he was going to incriminate himself. 
Wow. We're so lucky to have our legal advocates. You said that Dan's been all these wonderful things, right? From a survivor perspective. And, and let me just ask before I even ask that. Do you consider yourself a survivor? I mean, how how do you like the word survivor? I love survivor. Okay, you love survivor. It's Good. like my mantra. <laughs> it's your mantra. I love it. Okay, so as a survivor, um, for our future survivors, listeners out there right now, um, what does a Dan look like for them? What is what does a supportive new partner look like for a survivor? What does a survivor need in a new partner? Oh wow, this is great. So it's probably the opposite of everything you have ever had. Okay, wow, that's that's pretty profound. Yeah. So everything that you've always gravitated toward is unhealthy for you. That you makes trained sense. your brain. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you trained your brain to think that that's what you need. It's an addiction. It <laughs> is. And that familiarity. Mm-hmm. When you meet someone who's wonderful, who's kind and compassionate, and they're a good listener, and they're empathetic, and they're thoughtful and intentional, you're like, it's not that they're wrong. Yeah, who is this person? <laughs> I actually tried to break up with him. Really? Well, he was too perfect. Mm-hmm. I thought I didn't deserve you. Oh, okay. I come with baggage. I'm a mess. Yeah. If you really knew what a mess I am, you wouldn't want anything. You wouldn't want me. You wouldn't want. I'm broken. I'm damaged goods. I don't deserve you. That's like that's like my life growing up with my mom. My mom was like that. My mom had um, there were two guys, a guy named Art and a guy named Myron. Two guys that loved her, would have treated her well, really well, would have given me and my sister and my siblings a really good life. But both of them, my mom broke up with both of them after very short relationships with them, thought, they're, they they don't want me. Uh, you kids, they're just crazy. Everything's just a mess. I'm broke. I mean, she just thought she was, I mean, her criminal history, she just thought it was all too much. Um, so she, then she went with, uh, you know, more narcissists who were abusive. So, right. Well, that was what she Because that's what she, she deserved. Yep. That's well, what that's she knew. What she, she thought knew. she deserved. That's familiarity, right? Mm-hmm. We gravitate toward the familiar. And so if I'm talking to a survivor or a future survivor, I'm telling you, you do, you are worthy. Yeah. You do deserve someone who is stable. You do deserve security. You know, it's funny because you have trained your brain that if life is not chaos at all times, mm-hmm. if someone's not screaming, breaking something, throwing something, cussing someone out, if there is not a fire somewhere, then something is wrong. And it's actually the opposite because you've lived in normalized chaos yeah. for so long. That is your normal. But it's not, quote, normal. That's just where you've been because you're so accustomed to abuse. Did you tell yourself at times... Everybody must live like this. I mean, it can't just be me. Um, no. I knew that there was better out there. I just couldn't yeah. quite figure out how to get there. Because, you know, I dug this hole. You know, it's like, oh, well, you made your bed, so now you're going to lie in it. You know, that was kind of the That's mindset. You, that was the mindset. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and it was like, well, you just literally caused all of these issues everywhere by marrying this person who's destroyed your life and now your children's lives. So, you know, just suck it up, you know. But I didn't realize that he was the perpetrator. And that's kind of like in the book where you kind of have this full circle moment where like, oh, my God, she didn't know it was him. Yeah. I knew there was abuse and there were other perpetrators. I I thought I was protecting them from the perpetrator. I wasn't. Like, the perpetrator was there living with me, (laughs) 
you know? So it was like, not only was I experiencing his abuse, my son was experiencing his abuse, and then, you know, my, my daughter later, but... Yeah. So, yeah, so I would just really, I mean, I, I'm just, my heart literally just breaks for those people right now that are living in that place, and I would just say to, to a survivor right now, you can do this. You can. You can do hard things. You can overcome this fear. You can break free from this cycle. You can. And you deserve it. And you deserve it. Yeah. yeah. You, you, everyone deserves the life that they build for themselves, right? Right. We don't need to be mad at someone for being successful. What did they do to build that life for themselves? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting. People look at me and they, you know, we all size people up, right? Sure. Do. And, and yeah. we were like, oh, that, that person doesn't look like what I thought they would look like or whatever it is, right? And so I look at my life right now where I am and then I look at the clock, 2003, food stamps. I was on Medicaid, you know, I was every government assistant program, WIC, you name it, I was on it, and here I am now living a very successful life. I am an executive in corporate America, I have an incredible job. I just came from a really dark place, but I have worked diligently, not only to be successful according to world standards, because I know a lot of successfully, worldly successfully people that are miserable human beings. Absolutely. But I've also worked on my emotional well-being, on my mental health, on my spiritual health. I feel like you really need that balance. And so, you know, I would just beckon those people, like, come to the place where you belong. You've been out of out of sync for a while, but it's okay. Come back to the place where you, where you belong. Safety, security, healthy, you know, emotional well-being, mental well-being. You can have it all. You can. And this this story of triumph could be your story too. It is your story. It's waiting for you. Uh, that's such, I mean, I think that's a really great message to share with our listeners and those future survivors. Um, I think it's really cool. I also just love the idea that, like, when you said, the way you said triumph, where it kind of made me think to myself, and I can't remember uh, what quote it was, but a quote that triumph doesn't happen without, um, I guess, struggle. Struggle without, yeah, without that, the opposite of that. You have to have that. Um, in order to ever be able to celebrate a triumph, you've had to have been down. You've had to have gone through a struggle. So I guess one of the last couple things I want to talk to you about is one that I want to talk to you a little bit about and hear what you have to say about. Are you, I guess, how do you think? about your struggle and triumph. I don't know. I, I guess just to put some perspective on it, my life, I had a very challenging life growing up, but now at 50, I'm super grateful for it. It made me who I am today. I'm not embarrassed by it. It's my story and I own it. I love my story and I share it. So, But not everybody's that way. Where are you at now? I mean, obviously you wrote a book so you can't be too unproud of your story. I mean, is that how you feel too? Absolutely. This was, you know, a very, very, um, I, I vacillated. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I was vacillating. Like, I always felt like I was supposed to write a book. But then when you really start entertaining that idea of putting all of your business out for the world to scrutinize and to really see, because we can sweep some things under the rug, right? We can hide from our past. And then I just felt like, that's that's not right for me. That wasn't what this story was supposed to be. This was supposed to be a message for people that if you're struggling, that means 
you're still fighting. You still have strength to fight. So yeah. keep fighting, keep struggling, you know? It was so scary for me to actually do this. And I remember when I went into the publisher and they handed me my book in print form and I bawled like a baby. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, this is the most beautiful, like I can't believe all these pages. And I'm like flipping through the pages like, oh, it's all done, it's here. And then I was thinking like, oh, what did you do? Yeah, there's no going back at that point, there's right? no going back. Your story's out there. And I'm like, good, good. I don't have to vacillate anymore. I don't have that struggle anymore of, should I tell it? Should I not tell it? Should I tell it? Should I not tell it? No, no. You knew what was right all along. What was right was to fight for your children, to yep. fight for justice, to fight for freedom. You did that. You put it in a book, and it's it's basically a survival guide to help other victims to become survivors and you did the right thing. Now shout it from the rooftops. There's no turning back now. Run as hard and fast as you can toward whatever it looks like. If that's motivational speaking, do it. If that's podcasts, do it. If that's meeting a woman on the corner when you're walking across the street and she's got a black eye and you go, listen, I don't know what you're going through, but here's my cell phone number. Text me anytime. I'm here to help you. I've been to hell and back. I don't look like what I've been through. Call me. Whatever it looks like, I've met in coffee shops with groups of people randomly that were addicts that were there just one day, like for a group session, you know, for for a, a men's meeting they had one time at a coffee shop, and I had my book on the table, and the director came up and he goes, "Oh my God, you're Victoria." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Would you speak to our group?" I'm like, "Absolutely." I love those opportunities that present themselves wherever I am, wherever I go. My life mission is to help people. And so I just feel like I'm not going to be afraid anymore. If you'd watch anything that I post on social media, and I actually just did another video on this. I'm, I just dropped it about fear. And it's like, what do you think? Everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. If you weren't afraid today, what, what would you do? What would it look like? That's it. I quit. I'm gonna go get. In. I'm gonna go do something different. I'm gonna go do. Something. I'm just kidding. She's so inspiring. But you know what? I am gonna steal something from you just now, though. I hope it's not in your book because I hope you can't sue me for it. Um, but uh, I don't look. I don't look like what I've been through. Is that in your book anywhere? I've put that in there. I believe so. Dang yeah. it! Uh, but I'm gonna use that quote. I'm yeah, gonna borrow that quote from you. I think that's a. Re that's probably one of the coolest quotes I've heard in a oh, very long time. Thank you. I don't look like what I've been through. Um, I know. I still have one more thing I want to ask you, Caitlin. Anything that you that's on your mind? Well. I loved this book, um, and I know it is your story for memoir, but in your book book, you did mention that during one of your dreams, you had seen books. Oh, plural, yes, my crazy book dream. And that Dan had said, well, I think you need to write a book, and if that's what you're dreaming about, your dreams are never wrong. And so I was wondering if you were planning to um, work with Janice on anything in the future. So I don't know if I'm going to write another book. Um, obviously, um, you've read the story, yeah. and you might not know, Roy, but I have crazy vivid dreams. It's it's very very bizarre, and I had dreams that kept me going through this entire thing, and they were kind of like almost um, telling of the future, like what I should do. Very premonition. Very much like yeah. a premonition. Mm -hmm. And I had many of them, which was really bizarre. Jeez. And when this all was over, I think I've had maybe two dreams since then. 
So I knew it was like for a time. It like rested on me and I needed those mm-hmm. dreams because they kind of guided me and they were like this interpretation for how I was supposed to move forward. Um, but I feel like the books, and I don't know for sure, but I feel like the books in that dream were were Painting in the Rain. Okay. Those books were Painting in the Rain books. Those um, are good chapters. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, I could write something in the future. I'm open to that. Um, it really takes a lot of time yeah. and money mm-hmm. <laughs> and just energy. Mm-hmm. And if anybody has ever written a book, I just want to say I commend you right now because I know the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into it. It really is a difficult feat. But doing it and having it behind me and really just like, I feel like this is one of those things and I just told my, my husband Dan this the other night. Um, you know, my children, my children's children, my great, 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 great grandchildren, there's, there's going to be a copy of, you know, their great, 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 great grandmother. And they're going to be like, oh my gosh, this chick was the real deal. Let me tell you about what she did. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I just want to be able to inspire, you know, them. And that's part of my legacy. So I, I don't know. I, I'm open to, I'm open to exploring it, but we'll see what happens. Well, if you ever do, send it my way. Okay. Absolutely. So you, yeah, that was, so that's what you want to know. Is she going to write more? I want to know how we can partner with you more. I want to know how we can utilize you in our agency. How can we utilize you with our survivors, with our messaging, with our mission and vision? I, I don't know. I And not that we have to have an answer here, but I just want you, Victoria, to know, like, I would encourage you, please stay with, you know, stay connected to us. We have lots of opportunities. Uh, you know, I think just in very, even small ways, I mean, I know you're busy and, yeah. working and all that but yeah I would love to stay connected oh my gosh I would love to help in any way shape or form that I can mm-hmm. with everything that you're doing with the podcast I love that I love the mission here I love helping people any way that you think I could be a plug and play for something that you need we can go any direction I mean I've been married jot multiple down some notes. yeah jot yeah. down some notes <laughs> I've been married multiple times I've been divorced a couple of times I've been through abuse trauma I've been successful. I've been down and out. I mean, everything in between, you know, interracial marriage, biracial kids, racism. I mean, you name it. I feel like I can cover the gamut. And so I would just say, like, if you think that you can use me in any area, please don't ever hesitate to call because that's really my life's mission is to help other people. So please call. That's that's all I got. Um, Victoria, that's a great message to end it on, unless you have something else you want to add. No, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be on this program today. I'm really, really excited to be here, and thank you for all that you're doing. Keep up the great work. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you. You plug us on your socials if you want to plug any of yeah. those. Yeah, sure. VictoriaEllen.co, and I'm on all major social media platforms. So you can find me there, VictoriaEllen.co, and that's also my website. And my book is available on my website, and it's also on Amazon, Painting in the Rain, A True Story of Trickery and Triumph. Great. We'll put that all in the show notes. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you so much. <laughs>